0: The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near West of Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net.
1: All right. We're going to jump right in this morning. We're going to be looking at John. Chapter 1, verses 35 through 50. We're going to finish the first chapter. woo uh, Today. So it begins. John chapter 1, verse 35 starts out this way the next day. And we learned last week that what happened the day before is that John was baptizing in the desert and the religious leaders sent representatives out there to find out who John was and why in the world was he baptizing people and why all that was happening. Jesus comes on the scene God reveals to John the Baptist who Jesus is, and he shouts out this, uh, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the next day what happens, verse 35, is John was there again. But it specified, John was there again with two of his disciples. And it says, And when he saw Jesus passing by, he makes this same statement, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, you know, I've been pondering this a little bit, and, but we know that John was sent to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare for Jesus, the Messiah, the one who would deliver Israel once and for all and bring in God's everlasting kingdom, something that the Jews were looking for. So I'm just thinking, why didn't he just say, hey, look, here is the Messiah right here. He doesn't. He uses this phrase, behold, the Lamb of God. And so, when he calls Jesus the Lamb of God, this is, we need to think about this, this isn't just John, but we understand what the writers were influenced, right? There was this divine inspiration on these writers to write. So this was this revelation. So in essence, you could say that God, speaking through John, says, behold, the Lamb of God. This, he's revealing that this is the perfect and ultimate sacrifice for sin. Now we know that the Jews, uh, the Jewish priests, they would sacrifice lambs in the temple as sin offerings for the people, for their sins. Matter of fact, during that whole time, they sacrificed two lambs a day, one in the morning at the morning sacrifice, and one in the evening, in the evening sacrifice. And then also this idea, so they're thinking, you know, behold the Lamb of God. They also would be reminded of the Passover that was celebrated every year by the Jews concerning their deliverance from Egyptian bondage where what would happen is that each family would take a lamb and they would slay the lamb, that perfect spotless lamb. And then they would apply its blood on the lintel and the doorpost of the house. And when that happened... Um, God speaking to the children of Israel, he said, Listen, the blood will be a sign for you on your houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And so we know now, looking back, that this was a, a picture or a shadow of what was to come through Christ. He would be the Lamb who would be slain for the sin of the world. Now in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 3, uh, the writer is commenting and he says that all of those sacrifices back then were an annual reminder of sins. And it's impossible for them to take away sins. But when Jesus came, as the Lamb of God, He was... He was to be that one-time sacrifice for all. And so John's proclamation of what he's saying, I think, would be, first of all, would catch the Jews' attention, but he was trying to reveal something about who Messiah is and what Messiah has come for. Matter of fact, when you look through the whole Levitical priesthood, the whole Levitical system of sacrifice established by God in the Old Testament, they really just, all of them, point to and are a picture of Jesus. Remember, um, oh, I don't know, it's been some years back, uh, we walked through uh, the tabernacle. And we did it briefly, uh, but so you have this picture, right? So you have, you have the tabernacle, um, you have the holy place, and then you have the holy of holies. And what would happen is there were these outer courts. People would bring their sacrifice uh, to the priests. And what, what was the first thing here was a brazen altar, and that was a place of sacrifice. So the priests would sacrifice the saf- sacrifice offering, he would then wash his hands in the basin before he could go into this holy place. Now, in this holy place, there was this table of showbread, which represented communion. There was a, a lamp uh, stand uh, with, uh, that represented illumination or revelation. There was an there was a, a altar of incense that they would burn incense. And there was this curtain, which lots of representation there. Behind that curtain was the Holy of Holies back here. And so when the altar of incense would burn, it would imbue in and actually go through this material into the very presence of God. Now think with me just a minute, this, this representation. I don't know if I did it exact. I don't, I'm not sure if I did this when I walked through it, but it starts here. It starts with a sacrifice. It starts with cleansing before you can ever get into this place where there is this communion and there is this um, revelation and there is this intimacy into the presence of God. This picture, now think with me when the same way at Passover, the first Passover, when they uh, sacrifice the lamb, so who who was ever the head of the house, they would, at, the, at their doorstep, they would sacrifice this lamb, they'd take this basin of blood, and they would take the hyssop, and they would apply what? They would apply to the lentil, and they would apply to the doorpost. And you just think of the imagery that is in this, and how God had pointed, not just to this lamb that would come, but He was, he was pointing more specifically to the cross. And it's only through the cross it's only through sacrifice. I've had so many people um, try to skip sacrifice to get to intimacy with God, or revelation, or communion, and it just doesn't work that way. If you're sitting in here today and you think, "Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not really going to, I'm not going to really sac- I'm not going to really lay down my life, I'm not going to sacrifice my life, I'm not going to just all in, believe in Jesus," well, let me just tell you, if your head's there. Let me tell you what will never happen. Cleansing, communion, revelation, and intimacy. That's just not going to happen. Because it happens through sacrifice. And so this whole, to me, uh, this, this whole thing that begins to take place. Now the Jews... At that time, they would have been very familiar with this term, Lamb of God, because of Isaiah's prophecy, where it says, he foretold of the coming of one who would be brought like a lamb to the slaughter. And it goes on to say, whose suffering and sacrifice would provide redemption for Israel. And so, thinking about this, the Lamb of God, this is just the focus of the gospel, the focus of the good news is that we were in sin and we were separated from God. But He provided a sacrifice for us so that we wouldn't be separated. That He would pay the penalty for sin. So here is John is saying, this is the one that's going to take away sin, not only for the Jewish nation, but for all of humanity. And so... The Lamb of God refers to this sacrifice that he's going to pay implies to me. this; It implies that before Jesus can take his place as Messiah who will deliver his people once and, all, once and for all from their enemies and establish God's everlasting kingdom, he first must pay a price. A price needed to be paid, and the price was blood. And it was the blood of a spotless sinless lamb, which Jesus was. And, and, and to me, it's almost like this is something you just can't sidestep. This had to be done first. And so the Jews, they missed Jesus because they didn't catch Jesus was going to come and he was going to die on the cross and he was going to begin to, from that point, he was going to raise up disciples. The gospel would be going forward. I mean, listen, the Jews expected Jesus to come as a conquering king. He's gonna. But this needed to be done first. And I think that John, you know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is going, he didn't say, this is Messiah. He said, this is the lamb. Because this comes first. Sacrifice comes first. We know that in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18, it says, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was, cho- this is important, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but revealed in these last times for you. So from the very beginning, God knew this was going to take place, and now this revelation comes of who Jesus is and what he had come to do. He came to bring deliverance, but the real deliverance that humanity needed wasn't deliverance from their human enemies, but their enemy, which is sin, which separates us from God. Now, so John's there with his two disciples, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, and when his, the, these two disciples of John, verse 37, when they hear that, when, it, when they heard him say this, they just they turned, and they just began to follow Jesus. Now, they were John's disciples, right? They were following John, but when John does this, they just begin to turn, and they begin to follow Jesus, and this is exactly why John came. He came to prepare a way. He came to lead people to Jesus, so this is just what's happening, and it starts with these two disciples. Now, think about how this you know, sometimes I like to drop myself in the story a little bit. And I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, John's there, just who knows what's going on. I don't know if he's baptizing, but he's there and he's got two of his disciples with him. He makes this proclamation and I'm sure the disciples are just kind of like, I don't know. Maybe they looked at each other and then they looked at John, whatever it was, and they just went, okay, all right. Now it says, it doesn't say that Jesus was coming to John the Baptist, It it says Jesus was passing by. So who knows how all that panned out, but Jesus is passing by. John acknowledges who he is. The two disciples leave him, and they start following Jesus. Now, up to that point, nobody was following Jesus. So these are the first two. They began to follow Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He just stops and turns around, and he looks at him, he says what do you seek? Now this has been really grabbing a hold of me uh, here in these last few days, just pondering on that. The question, he didn't say, whom are you seeking? He basically says, what do you seek? And such, I, I, I don't know, for me, just such a powerful question. He's going, he just stops and what are you, like, what are you looking for? And I think it's really a, a great question for us. What are you looking for? What are you seeking? Now, I can remember vividly when I came to Christ. I mean, I, first of all, I, I know now that it was the Spirit of God nudging me. I knew that He was drawing me, but I, I know now I didn't know then. Here's what I knew. I just knew that whatever it was that I needed was only going to be found in him. It's like I'd tr- you know, I'd reasoned in my mind all my life before, and I just when that happened, I remember standing that altar. I remember this peace coming over my life saying, basically, in words to me, it was like, it's going to be OK. And and I kind of picture this with what's taking place because the disciples, they're being drawn. There's some kind of a supernatural occurrence taking place right here. Because let me just ask you this, when you first were drawn, when you first were nudged, that was not just a natural inclination. That, uh, That was a divine instance taking place. Spirit of God revealing to you some way, drawing you in some way. And for me, I had no idea what that looked like, especially never being raised in church or any of that. But I just, I just knew that I needed to respond to that. And to me, it's almost like that's this with these disciples. Because their question, you know, G- Jesus turns around and he says, uh... uh what do you seek? And I don't know if they went, uh, 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 uh. I don't know if they knew what they were seeking. But the, they respond this way Well, where are you residing? Where are you staying? And, and, at first when I read it, I said, well, it's a stupid response. And I thought, well, if you would ask me when I was first there, hey, what are you doing? I wouldn't, matter of fact, I, after I went to the altar, before I prayed the prayer, the kid come up, the guy come up to me and says, what are you doing here? I goes, <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. But then I thought about it a bit, and maybe these disciples were just trying to get in a, get an invitation to have a further conversation with Jesus. So they're asking, well, where, where are you staying? It's almost like an invite. Then I love this because Jesus says, well, just come and see. That's powerful. It, it's, it's this uh, Matthew, is it Matthew 11, 24 and 25? Uh, coming to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest, I will give rest to your soul and, and and for me and like you at those at that moment when you when you when you were drawn and you begin to respond, what caused you to respond was something in you saying, "This is what you need this is this this is what you 're looking for so I think For me, I was, over these past few days, I was just letting that hit me. Uh, What do you seek? What are you looking for? I've been a believer for a long time, and that that question is still pounding at me. Back then, I could say I had no idea. Now, over the years, I mean, in a general sense, they've been, I'm just really trying to figure this out. Uh, what I'm what I'm looking for, what I'm seeking for, is what you're wanting from me. I just want to... I, I don't want to miss out on anything. I, I just want to make sure I'm where I need to be. And if John is telling them, this is the Messiah, and I've prepared a way for you, and they're going, okay, well, we want to make sure that we are getting... we're getting this right. And so what happens then, as you read on, it says then... It says, uh, let's see, so... Verse 40, so Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So we know Andrew was there. And so it says that, uh, uh, let's see, I think I passed it over. It says, but they sent. Uh, this, they, s- they spent the day with him. Oh, there it is. Um, it says, so they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with Jesus. And it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. And I got to thinking, man, in the scriptures there's so much more behind the curtain stuff that we don't see. But whatever happened in that day, this is what happened after it. Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who was one who had followed Jesus. So they, they followed Jesus, they spend the day with Jesus. It says that the first thing Andrew did, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And when he brought him to Jesus, Jesus just looked around He said, you are Simon, you'll be called, son of John, you'll be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Then verse 43, then goes on, it says, then the next day, see how this all is happening pretty rapidly, the next day Jesus decided to leave Galilee. So he's, must, he's staying in Galilee. He decides to leave Galilee. And it says, finding Peter. So Jesus left, was intentionally looking for somebody, and it was Philip. I'm sorry, it was Philip. And he was looking for Philip, and he says, so there's this, this, no randomness about it. He finds Philip, and he says, follow me. Now it goes on to say in verse 44 that Philip, like Andrew and Peter, were from the town of Bethesda. So in just these few short days, so it's a four-day period that this is all taking place. It's happening really fast. The story moves from John preaching in the desert, preparing the way for Jesus, to Jesus coming on the scene and calling his disciples to himself. So then it says that Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about and about whom the prophets wrote. And it's Jesus from Nazareth. And we know that he responds and says, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And that could be for a couple different reasons. One of them is, Nazareth was just kind of a poor, out-of-the-way village, community, from what was going on. Or maybe it was from, we learn later on, I think it's in John chapter 7, uh, Nicodemus is a he had he'd already met with Jesus, and religious leaders are trying some kind of way to squash the whole thing, and Nicodemus seemingly speaks up, to, speaks up for uh, Jesus, and they said this in John 7, 52, they replied to Nicodemus, well, are you from Galilee also? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee so maybe John, maybe Nathaniel's is going. Whoa, Messiah! Whoa, there's nothing that's coming out of Nazareth. And so he says when he asks the question, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" He, I love his response. He goes, "Well, just come and see. Just come and see." And I, I, I'm thinking about that. You know, a lot of times you're have people, they have a lot of questions, maybe they're argumentative, and what are you going to do when that happens? Well, just do what Nathaniel did. He said, well, just uh, come and see for yourself. And I thought that's such a good reminder to us. The best way sometimes just to meet objections with other people is just introduce them directly to Jesus. Well, how do you do that? I can remember so many occasions talking to people, and uh, they're just you know they're they're like I was. You know, I remember the guy that first talked to me about Jesus. I just thought he'd bumped his head. He didn't know what he's going on. I was just like, "Are you kidding me?" And this is what he did to me. He goes, "You know what? Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray for you." And right there, he just prayed for me. And it's kind of been something that I do when I run into people, and I, and I'll just stop right then and I'll just pray. I'll say, "Father, I know you're real." and i know you're drawing so and so to yourself here's what i'm asking i'm asking that when we leave that somehow some way the only way that you can have is you just speak into his life that you would just reveal yourself to them and and here's what's interesting is what follows so he brings he says is anything can anything good happen and so nathaniel you know he just he 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 comes up and when jesus sees him he said he said, uh, uh, truly this is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He goes, well, how do you know me? <laughs> and Jesus said, well, hey, I saw you while we were still sitting in the fig tree before Philip called you. Here's what's fun about this. If God's drawing somebody, he's reading their mail. He already knows everything about them. It's it's been amazing to me. I remember a good friend of mine, Steve. I was sharing Christ with him. He was saying things to me, you know, uh, just, you know, hey, this is how I think, this is how I feel, this is what's going on. I take him to church. The pastor's preaching. I'm sitting here. Denise is here, and then somebody, and then my buddy Steve. And that guy at the pulpit is saying the exact Words that this kid needs to hear. That he said to me. He thought after the service. He thought I went to the preacher and said, "Hey, this is my buddy Steve, and what you need to see, here's where he's at, and this is what you need to say." So what happens is he's saying that, and I just see it over here. He he just leans out and he goes. He looks at me like, "You dirty rat!" But here's the deal. When you're you're sharing Christ with people, just just pray for them. Uh, Ask God to reveal Himself to him, And He will, because He knows their heart. And it's almost to me, it's almost like here He's going, "Well, well, just, you know, you don't believe me? Just come and see. And He comes to Jesus, and Jesus says something to Him that could only be because God knows Him. Hey, I know you. I saw you. How do you know me? Right? Well, well, he knows him. Uh, Just something to ponder on. But what happens in verse 49? Well, at that point, Nathanael declared, Well, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. There was just this revelation that took place because of this encounter with Jesus. Verse 50 says, So Jesus said, well, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things in that. Then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, you know, there's a few things that I could see in these verses that I picked out that I thought were important, but I'm just kind of curious as we've been looking at them, is there anything that you see that uh, is valuable. Maybe something that you see in it. Maybe something that we can learn uh, from. Anybody in these verses? Don't be shy. You want me to just start picking people? I am. Look at this. I'm just going to do it. I like that. Your face uh, gave you away. Yeah. Oh. I got something to say. I just, uh, it's a good reminder uh, when, you know, we we want an open door that the Lord would give us the words. I uh, like that. Come and see. Mm-hmm. They, even if they don't come to church, just to remind them, just come and see whether they come to church, or, but start reading the word. Mm. And uh, I find... No, I don't read. That's excuse. But I just pray that the Lord would uh, reveal himself and that they will grab the word because mm-hmm. those New Testaments are excellent to mm-hmm. share with people. Yeah, come find out for yourself. Somebody
0: else? I just had to tell you that when you were telling that story about your friend, the day that I accepted Christ, I remember looking at my friend and thinking, what a dipstick. She told that pastor exactly about me. I'll never forget thinking that because I thought, I can't believe she would do that to me. It was a fairly big church. So God does do that. And it was just, it was amazing to me later to find out. She hadn't talked to him after all.
1: Alexandra, that happened to me. My buddy said, uh, you're tired of living the life you're living, and it's Jesus that you need. That pastor said it from the pulpit, and when he did it, just went <coughs> just grabbed a hold of my heart. Amazing, God's amazing. Go ahead, Alexander.
0: Well, um, I have a coworker. She's not working with me right now at the same site, but
1: um, she told me that she was an atheist and uh, she was going to get surgery, and it was like a serious surgery. I can't re- because this was like four years ago, and I asked her, "Can I pray for you?" And she said, "Oh." I guess. And I prayed for her, and she was in tears all the time. And she said, Well, well, thank you so much. This was very special for me. Uh, I don't know about her. I don't know if she's growing uh, now in the Lord. I I don't think
0: so, but that prayer touched her. And I think that the Lord does that sometimes. Just, you know, you put the seat there, and then He's in charge of it. Mm
1: -hmm. Go ahead, Holly. You know, that you share and that you know that God goes before you that he's already there he already knows what's in their heart and you share and and just trust that the lord will take care of it don't don't fret over it and you know our responsibility is to you know come and see but God already knows where their heart is so mm. we can't worry about that part of it That's good. Oh, I'm going to do some. Tim, can you help me for a second? You, <laughs> Tim. Here, follow me. <laughs> No, he didn't. No, uh-uh. I, I, I'm just, this just hit me. This might make sense. It might not. Okay, Tim, I need you to behind the curtain. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Okay, here's a reality. Here's a reality. Okay, so I'm sharing Christ with Allie. And uh, let's, just, let's just, just imagine. So I'm sharing. Here's a reality that we need to get. So he is here. See? <laughs> I don't see him. She doesn't see him, but he's here. So when I'm praying and I'm asking God just to open up her life, he's present. A very real reality that I think so often we miss out on. It's not, it's not some mystical thing. He is there. So it really should encourage us more that when we're sharing with people like you did, you just you pray for them. That's one of the things I love about Denise, if you're ever around her. Uh, she's sick this morning, by the way. I took her out for a few days to get a break, and I got her sick. <laughs> but it's just she, when you, if you say, hey, uh, this is going on, she'll, she'll just stop and pray. Because she understands this right here, that he is there, and he will speak, and he will meet the need. All right, did a fine job Tim well, thank you very I much. mean he was he's the only person that looked like Jesus to yeah. me today this morning, so uh, let's see I think uh I think Tony, oh, go ahead, Daria, and then back toward tony yeah, um, so something that really grabs my attention here is that um, God knows us and but he also said, you see better things, that you see wonderful things happen, mm. happening in the future. So that's something that excites me, that makes me very happy. Because it's not just that he knows us, but it's just the promises that he has made for us, that he has tell us it's going to happen. They are going to happen. And so that's why it makes me really excited, very happy about it. Mm. Well, is it Suzanne or? or? Oh, Oh, both of you. Okay. So the part that kind of struck me was Nazareth, you know, can anything good come from here? And, you know, I think that's where sometimes people are so hesitant and they don't believe in themselves because things they've been through. And that's why it's so wonderful when we can encourage them. Jesus and God uses everybody. And there's just some of the, out of our struggles, you know, a lot of times my devotions will kind of challenge me that sometimes in my worst times, that's when God is really working. And, um, you know, that's where He just gives us the people we need in our lives to get us through it. That's
0: good. Tony? Well, she hit on the same verse that I was thinking. Uh, Natharys, can anything good come from there? Or can anything good come from... Vano Lakes or Tampa or your neighborhood or your street or anything like that. When I look at this verse, I just see the word hope so big. Like it doesn't matter where we are. And and, and we hear this from people say, you know what? That person, they'll never make it. They'll, they don't stand a chance in this world. Look what, look where they live. Where, look where they come from. Now we, we know from history that there's a lot of people that have come out from neighborhoods that have made it somewhere where they know the Lord and, and are fruitful. But when I look at this, this is a powerful verse because it points that it does, it regardless, we're talking here about Jesus, regardless of where you come from. If he came from a despised neighborhood like Nazareth, that was despised for some reason, maybe it was jealousy, there, there was uh, a rift between them, you know, there's some kind of a trouble between the, the people there, but still from there comes the king of kings. Mm. What does that tell us about the opportunities that we have in this world? that it doesn't matter what neighborhood someone comes from, hope is still there.
1: Mm, that's good. Anybody else? One thing I noticed was when Philip saw Jesus, he went and got someone else. And he didn't preach to him. He just took him to Jesus. Mm. And so often when we meet somebody and we in, invite them to something, and they find Jesus. so. It was it's just amazing to me how sometimes God works more when we're not trying it so hard, but when we're just living it and sharing, we think. Yeah, I like that. He knew who he was. He said, I know who you are, you're an Israelite, and in you there is no deceit. And one of the things that in a big picture that grabs me is coming to Jesus wasn't quite what I thought at all. But it was way more than I imagined. Isn't that good?